Okay, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and today's Mule Tip Tuesday. We're going to jump right in. Um, you know, we've got a lot of requests lately uh, to post or talk about our groundwork checklist. Many of you have heard me talk about the riding checklist, things that I think every mule ought to know how to do under saddle. Um, but I found I've never really uh, talked much about the groundwork checklist and uh, and what, what I like them to do on the ground. So I'm going to kind of go through that. Um, and it kind of goes along well with our first question that we have. Is, and I'm going to read that in just a little bit. So let me talk about our groundwork checklist. Um, these are things that I want my mule to be able to do on the ground that will prepare the mule to be ridden under saddle. I don't do anything for tricks or for gimmicks or for a show. Um, I'm not, I'm not uh, downplaying anybody that does. Uh, I mean, if you're into that, good for you. I like watching a good trick as well as anybody else does too with a horse or a mule. But, but what I'm about to tell you is, is not tricks and gimmicks and things like that, okay? We're not doing that. These things need to help me in the saddle or I'm not going to spend my time at it. That's just me personally. You do you. So, so each thing will either prepare the mule physically, mentally, or mechanically. Um, learn, learning how to do the moves and put them together. Of course, you need the physical and the mental to do that. But that's basically the, the, the three things that we'll be working on is the mechanics of it, the mental side of it, and building physical muscle and strength. So the very first step is clearing the front. I want to be able to get the mule to yield out and away from me to the left and to the right. So I, I should be able to send that mule any which direction I'd like to go. I'm not going to dive in on exactly how to do all this on this podcast, but that's the first step is clearing the front. Okay. Step two, centered circles. I want to be able to send the mule in a circle to the left or to the right of me. They should be on a loose rein. They shouldn't be pulling on me. They shouldn't be pushing on me. They should be able to stay on course on a loose rein in that circle. I like to work at the walk and occasionally at the trot. I don't work at the lope on the end of the lead rope. I do work on the lope on our hooking on process. And I'll get to that in just a little bit. So centered circles is step two. Step three, I like to be able to roll the hind quarters. So some call it turning on the forehand, some call it untracking the hinds, some call it yielding the hinds, some call it rolling the hinds like I do. But you're going to roll the hinds. Basically, you're trying to get the inside hind leg to step over and in front of the outside hind leg while the hind quarters are yielding away from you. Um, and then be able to return to the circle. So you're saying, hey, mule, can you shift a little weight, um, get a little lighter on your inside hind foot and balance on the other three feet? and yield to me, and then can you go back united on all fours? That's step three. Step four, I want to be able to roll the hinds, roll the front. This is where I get the hindquarters to yield a couple of steps, two or three steps, and I get the front end to yield a step or two. Roll the hinds, roll the front. That's a combination move. So the first three pieces are all individual. So you, you move the front end, you move the hind end, you move all four, work on forward motion. And then now, step four, you're it's a combination of roll the hind, roll the front. That is 
that is your your main groundwork checklist right there. Now, there's some other things I like to do. I like to be able to do some moving half circles. If you're not familiar with what this is, you can check it out on our video library, tsmules.com. But moving half circles is another is another combination move of basically combining moving the hinds, moving the front, leg yielding, and walking forward. So it's a pretty cool move. The other thing I like to do on the ground is fence work. I like to get them to stop at the fence, get them to pick me up off of a fence or a mounting block. And I like that to be really handy. We work on lateral flexion from the ground, get them soft to the left and to the right, getting them yielding, giving to that feel in the rain. Uh, we work at the backup. We do two methods of backing up. We back them up off the halter and back them up off the lead rope. So two methods of backing up there. We also work at kind of familiarizing them with things like a saddle pad or rope, rain slicker, um, you know, flags, things like that um, on the ground. I don't necessarily use the word desensitize anymore because I'm trying to be better about my vocabulary. And uh, Jim Hicks talked about familiarizing and I thought, man, that's a good word. I like it. I'm going to use it. So I want to familiarize the animals to these things. I like to be able to lead them by a foot, lead them by the front feet, by the hind feet. I like to be able to work on ground tying. They ought to be able to hobble. And then um, probably one of the most important aspects as we get into the colt starting stages is the hooking on. This is when they're at liberty in, the, in a round pen. You send them out. You try to draw them back in, get them hooked on to you, get them following you around, get them to want to be with you. It's both uh, the ability to send them and draw them back into you. So just uh, just them following you around isn't good enough because I got plenty of meals that'll follow me around, but I can't get them off of me. <laughs> these young colts, these babies. So when I start them under saddle, when I get them going, and it's time for them to grow up and learn a little bit when they turn, you know, two and three, I need to be able to send them out as well. Like I said, these babies would follow me around all day, but sending them out would be the trouble. So that's the that's the key there. Be able to send them out, send them where you'd like them to go, bring them back to you. So that is the uh, groundwork checklist in a nutshell right there. Those are the things that I think every mule should be able to do before you ride them. And, and these days I really don't get on a mule until it can do those things at some basic level. I'm not saying they have to be perfect, but I want them to have some good understanding. So I need to be able to do those things. So there you go. If you have wondered what I do on the ground, that is basically it. Um, there may be a few other odds and ends here and there, depending on a meal, what I might do. But that is the main groundwork checklist right there for you. So that leads us to our first question from Susan Farrell. She writes, the mule I'm trying to rehab who has bolted and bucked away with me is now working good circles, clearing the fronts, rolling the hinds very well. He is getting lighter on the backup. How do I know when I should try again to mount up and ride? Well, there you go, Susan, right there. Uh, when you can do those things that I just mentioned, Susan, that's when you can ride. You should, you should be confident that things are going to go well for you. So when you can do that groundwork, Susan... And you can be honest with yourself and your meal and you say, hey, that's going to go good. This is going to go good. You've done so much work that you can't help but make it go good. That's when you're ready to write, especially 
you know, actually these mules that have bucked and bolted and you've had issues with are, uh, they're actually more challenging, um, than starting fresh. So I would recommend that you be very particular and, uh, and get it going good. You want to, I mean, you want, you want to be confident. That's the main thing, Susan. So, so that's the answer to your question is do the groundwork and do it until you are very confident that things are going to go well for you. All right. Uh, McKenna Freevert Johnson. This is a little long, so, uh, but it's very kind. So I'm going to read it all. Hi, Ty. First, I just want to thank you again for all that you and Sky do. I recently finished the podcast, uh, re-listening to some episodes two or three times. And I'm so thankful for the guidance I've received and the confidence I've gained from the podcast alone. Add the video library to it, and I feel like I would have been a very lost puppy had I not found T.S. Mules. One of the very... One of my very favorite episodes is episode 115, Choosing Friends That Inspire. After doing some reflecting, I wanted to let you know that for so many of us, in regards to mealmanship, you and Sky are that friend. Personally, I come from an area with few horse folks around and even fewer mule folks around. So finding people to ride, ask questions to, and build off of can often be a challenge. Often before or during my rides, I listen to your podcast as a way to set an encouraging, positive, and intentional tone for the time spent with my mule. I truly believe that this has changed the course for us in the best of ways. Thanks, McKenna. That is uh, very kind of you. Um, we are here to help. We want you to be successful, so I'm glad that you're getting some help out of that. So she does have a question, my Mule Tip Tuesday question. I've been doing a fair share of groundwork recently, and I have been focusing on reading my mule's body language. I've noticed that after performing a task, licking her lips and sighing, she takes steps toward me and then rests. I have neither encouraged nor discouraged this behavior, but my question is, should I be? You know, McKenna, that is fantastic. You know, the licking of the lips is just the beginning of this soak time that you've heard me talk about in past episodes. When the mule is reflecting on what just happened, you know, they lick their lips after they get a little dopamine hit, um, which comes after they are coming off of stress. So as they are going from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system, they kind of feel good. That's kind of the transition from the, the flight and fight slightly to the rest and digest. And so, as they're shifting down, they get a little little chemical change in their mind. And I'm not sure, I'm not here necessarily to tell you how all that works. Um, but I'll tell you what I what I see from it is, is the licking and chewing is just the beginning. And then you say that she gives you a big sigh, a big breath. That's excellent. That's Those are all good things. Wait for all that to happen. That's excellent. And then when she draws into you, that is good. That, that, mule is seeking some comfort from you, seeking some confirmation from you. The mule is wanting to draw in and it, it's, it's a good thing. Um, now over a period of time, I like them to go from kind of a needy stage to a, basically a self-regulating stage. So like when I start a cult, a brand new cult, oh my gosh, they do want to, they seek comfort. They really want to draw into you. They want to follow you around, and that's all good. Um, they they really want to be with you, and uh, 
over some time, I would like to get them to be able to be uh, self-regulating and be able to do that right there on their own without necessarily needing to draw in and come closer to me. I do like them to draw in. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't don't cross my wires here on this, friends. I do like them to draw in, but as a young colt, maybe they can't stay out there very long. Maybe they just can't take it being out there. That's all right. That's okay. I'll let them come in a little bit. I'll give them some reassurance. Maybe in the beginning, they can only stay out there um, for a few moments and then they need to come in for some reassurance. That's okay. But over time, as that mule grows, matures, things get a little bit better, they can learn to self-regulate and want to just hang out there and be able to be comfortable there. I mentioned ground tying earlier. And that's one particular exercise that you'll do and to, to work on helping them stay out there on their own. Um, and that'll be good for you too. So uh, that's all good stuff, McKenna. You are on the right track. So great job. All right, Chris Schilling. Uh, Chris writes, when riding pickles, that's your mule. You've heard me talk about pickles, the pinky puller. <laughs> this is a mule that I worked with last year in New York, and I broke my pinky when I was working. Um, you don't have to do that no more. That mule's lined out nowadays. Um, when riding pickles in the arena, um, he can be all over the place coming off the rail and cutting in on circles. How should I handle this without pulling on his face? Also, I thought you once said you hang the snaffle fairly, fairly low, no wrinkles. Is that correct? Um, Chris, in regards to hanging the snaffle, I like the snaffle to just touch the lips in the mouth. I don't like to put any wrinkles in there. Um, you'll hear people give all kinds of wrinkle advice. Some say one, two, three wrinkles. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, but just know that whenever you put a wrinkle in their mouth, that mule needs to basically become dull to that feel and just learn to tolerate that feel and just uh, basically confirm that it means nothing. So you have to put more feel in there for it to be effective. So I like it just touching the lip. That way when I pick up on it, well, I'm the one putting the wrinkle in, in it. Um, when I apply a little feel, if I got to pick up on the rain much, okay, likely, um, I'm, I mean, my main goal is to operate off of a loose rain, but sometimes you got to pick up on them. So that's how I hang the snaffle. And in regards to picking up on them, you know, uh, yeah, you don't want to pull on their face, so to speak, but you, you do need to give them guidance. They need your help. So you go down the line, Chris, as you're trying to keep this mule centered and you're trying to keep things organized, it's seat leg rain. You use your seat and your legs primarily. That's your main goal. You want them to operate off of the seat and leg. And you're trying to you're trying to wean yourself off of using your hands so much. You're trying to and in fact you should encourage yourself to have have weak hands as you ride. Have weak hands. Um, but this doesn't mean I don't pick up on them, Chris. If I'm trying to keep them centered and I need to guide them, you bet I'll pick up on them. So as you're working on developing this lightness, that doesn't mean that you don't do anything. And it doesn't mean that you operate your hands and your reins and your legs and your seat as limp noodles. <laughs> you got to you gotta give them a little direction. They got to have a little help. The key is when they are centered, when they are traveling where you want them to travel, Chris, life needs to be good. You need to leave them alone. Let them find that center. Let them relax there. Let them find comfort there. That's the key. So focus not so much on keeping them on track on course but focus more so on making sure they're very comfortable when they're on course and pickles will get better with that i promise you um and it helps also to use destinations they are very destination driven 
So work on this, not just in the arena, work on it everywhere, going from point to point. Go from that rock to that tree. Go from that cone to that cone. Go from that barrel to that barrel or whatever. And that'll help with keeping them center too. Having your eyes up, having good posture, having a good seat makes all the difference too, Chris, and how you ride and how you operate is going to help that mule um, to stay centered. And a lot of times mules that lean, I mean, you can find yourself just squeezing your toes and your mule might be turning that way a little bit. You might find yourself holding on with a knee and your mule's turning that way a little bit or yielding to that. So pay attention to those things. Good question, Chris. Let me know what you think. Okay. Um, next question comes from Lindsay Dietrich. Hope I said that last name right, Lindsay. Um, hi, you two. Uh, still working on my stuff with Nally. Uh, Lindsay came to the clinic in uh, St. Croix, Wisconsin this year. Uh, I'm noticing she's a lot more stiff bending the circle than my gilding horse who just finished training doing the same methods you teach. So in comparison, is she just less flexible physically or is it a mental thing? I'm curious so I know what to accept, what to work on further. Um, I have a feeling she would be far softer. She should be far softer, but looking for why and how this works. Yeah, Lindsay, um, you know, horses, mules, donkeys, they can all be, uh, I mean, they can all be as light as you, you help them to be. Uh, different breeds have different sensitivities. For example... Um, if I'm working with a lot of these half draft, uh, mules, you know, they tend to, I'm not going to necessarily use the word dull, but they're, they're definitely heavier, um, on their feet, on their forehand. They're not quite as sensitive to the signals and the cues I'm giving them. So yeah, it might not feel like as they're as athletic as say you're, you're, uh, maybe a little Arabian horse or maybe a, a spunky little cow horse might be okay. You got to understand that now, but they all have an ability to be light and be soft. And the main thing you need to find out is what is your mule's full potential and just keep working for that. So I wouldn't necessarily compare to your horse, although it is good to have an idea of what lightness and softness feels like, uh, feels like, um, you know, I, I did an episode a while back where I talked about, you know, everybody should be able to ride a really good horse or mule sometime to know what it should feel like, what you're working towards. Okay. And so comparison is the thief of joy, <laughs> but at the same time, it kind of gives you something to shoot for. So don't compare your horse and your mule necessarily on what they should be like today, but you can, you can compare, I guess, to know, um, how your progress is coming along with the mule, you know, and work, work small pieces. So for example, the circle you're asking about, instead of trying to make a full circle and have it all be light and, and, and joyful and everything, try to make a, a little quarter circle, one fourth of a circle as light as you can and right out of that and build another quarter circle as light as you can. You know, you keep doing that and over time, it's going to get better and lighter. And then make sure that you're offering that piece, um, offer that piece to, to that mule to find that lightness. So anyways, great question. Keep working on getting those quarters light and Nolly will be wonderful, Lindsay. So, Hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. Thanks some sponsors. And, uh, when we come back, we got some more good questions for you. So hang tight. 
Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years. And she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So, hey, be sure to check them out, mealsmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mealsmore.com. All right, friends, uh, we're back with our Mule Tip Tuesday. I got uh, a few more great questions for you. Uh, this question comes from Katie Bloom. She came to our clinic in uh, in uh, St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin as well. So Katie says, Ty, I want to thank you and Sky again for the experience at the clinic in Wisconsin. And for all the work you put into the podcast and videos, I've been watching through your video library and listening to the podcast every day. There's something about training equines and specifically donkeys and mules that feeds my soul in a way that nothing else does. I love your methods. I can't wait to do more. And that brings me to Dudley. Um, I want to foster Dudley and work with him. Now, for uh, Dudley here, what she's talking about, this mule... Um, I talked about this mule in the St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin Clinic Debrief. Dudley um, is a mule that Kim uh, Kim had there, had a tough time with, wanted to drag her around. Um, so um, I want to foster Dudley, she says, and work with him. You said he needs to be worked with every day and he needs someone really committed to him to get him through this bolting behavior. Am I foolish to take on something this difficult? Dudley's response to any pressure is to run away. So my biggest question is, how should I start? I planned uh, to spend time with him, to familiarize him with me and practice the catching with quality methods in your video. I also plan to work through your hooking on and clearing the front. Should I be doing all this at once or just focusing on one thing <clears throat> until he's passable at it and then move to the next? Any other things to start with or things to avoid? Thanks for all you do. P.S. Thanks for fitting Wisconsin into the schedule for 2022. I'll be there. Okay, Katie. Um, are you foolish? <laughs> You're going to find that out um, on your own. Um, if if you if you're game to handle a mule like this, go for it. You need to have the time. You need to have the knowledge. You need to have the facilities. You need to have the ability. And you need to have the desire. If you have those five things, you'll be fine. Okay. What to do first. Now, I talked about this a little bit before, but what to do first with Dudley. You know, this mule just bolts at the slightest amount of pressure you all put on the lead rope. I mean, just, just anything. And he just tearing off. This mule totally knows how um, to bolt away. And that is his answer to pressure. Now, you can't blame him. He has got to release... I mean, I don't know how many dozens of times, and even before Kim got him, that's probably why he ended up at the rescue in the first place. Um, but this mule has got a release by bolting away and finding comfort away from humans over and over and over again. This is a 
this is a learned behavior now. Okay. He he's, you can't blame the guy. All right. So what do you do? Well, for all these bad experiences, you're going to have to rewire this, <laughs> this brain, so to speak. Okay. And you, you might have to do something a hundred times to override that one bad experience or the, the, the traumatic experiences. It's not one bad experience. It's all these traumatic experiences of him bolting away. See, every time he bolts away, it's a, it's a, it is a trauma to him. You, you, he's kicked over completely into the flight state of mind. He is fleeing the scene for his life. Now, it may not seem that way. It may seem stupid. He might think, oh my gosh, you ding dong. Why are you pulling away from me now? It, it may, to, to our human minds, it may just seem so dumb. That they pulled away. To him, it's not. To him, it is not dumb. To him, it is life or death. He, you can't blame him. He legitimately thinks he's going to die. So then he kicks over into this flight instinct and he is gone. That, he's just looking for the release, okay? He's just learning. So it's going to take you quite a, a lot of good experiences to override this. Now, one of the things I suggested to Kim, I don't know if you remember this, Katie, when, I, when we was at the clinic, but I said, you know, one thing that'd be great for this animal would, would to be go catch this meal with quality every day. I mean, just you catching with quality, and you mentioned the catching with quality video. That is so key. Catch the meal with quality. Get them to bend. Teach them to put their head down. Teach them to be light while you're putting the halter on. And then I would lead this mule to feed every day. I would lead it to feed. I'd go catch it, lead it. And you need to do it in a place where it's secure. So maybe lead it down an alleyway or lead it just basically from one corral to the next. So you're not going to lose the mule out on the farm or out in the neighborhood or something. But I would just lead that critter, and I, I would do. I might just do that uh, on, on a mule that bolts this bad. Now, you guys that are listening, gotta understand. Um, and if you haven't listened to that Saint Croix Falls, Wisconsin debrief, you need to check it out. I'm pretty sure I talked about Dudley on there a bit. Um, but you know, uh, th this this mule's bolting behavior is is bad. This is not a typical. I'll just drag you around a little bit behavior that this mule is a, is a bolting runaway. Okay. It's, it's tough. It is tough. This is, this one is not for the faint of heart. So Katie, I'm going to be frank with you. This is going to be a pain for you, but if you're game, which you are, you have a, a, an amazing work ethic, go for it. Help this mule. If you don't help him, who's going to help this mule? Nobody's out. Nobody's going to help this mule. This mule needs needs a little help. Needs a little reassurance. Otherwise, he's just a pasture ornament. Either he's a pasture ornament, or you know, heaven forbid, he's going to end up getting canned somewhere. When he does have potential, he has potential. I don't want to see a mule like this getting canned. Um, he does have potential. His problems are serious, though. This bolting behavior is is a big deal. Okay, this is this is not an easy one. Um. So you're going to have to, I mean, uh, on a mule this this tough, I'm going to just catch him every day with quality. I'm going to lead him down the alleyway, lead him to another corral. I'm going to turn him loose, let him eat. I'm going to catch him in an hour or two, take him back down to the other corral where he has water and let him be. I'm, I'm going to do that twice a day or three times a day. Um, so I would start there. Then when you're starting to get a little better handle and you can just lead him basically just get him to follow you really. You're not really leading at this point, but you're getting him to follow you on the end of that lead rope from place to place. Then I would start on um, implementing a little hooking on in the round pin. 
you may have to actually implement the hooking on just to get him caught in the corrals. Because if I remember right, you had trouble, you and Kim had trouble just catching the, him there at the clinic as well. So you may have to be implementing this hooking on process just to get him caught, okay? But if, uh, if, if you're catching him okay, then implement this hooking on process somewhere in the mix. Take him to the round pen um, and, and get this going good. And that's more of catching with quality, getting him to want to be with you and seek comfort near you. That's going to be a huge key. You're going to have to wire up his brain so he knows that there is comfort with you and near you. You're going to have to really work hard at that. After you get that going, and this might be two weeks down the road, this might be a month down the road, I don't know. This meal is going to take it a lot longer than the normal, typical meal, okay? This is not this is not a regular case, all right? Then two weeks or three weeks later, then you're going to start that halter driving. You're going to work on clearing the front, building those circles. You may spend a week just on clearing the front there. I would also implement leading this mule by a foot. Now, if you have another mule or a horse that you can rope off of, to pick up these feet and teach the mule to lead by a foot, I would do it off of another animal rather than on the ground on this particular mule because I think he'd just drag you. Um, but if you could get the mule leading by a foot, it would be very beneficial. Get the mule um, working off of another mule. So I'd be riding something, I'd be leading him on my other mule. That way you got a little, you got your saddle horn to dally to, and you can stay safe up above him. It's safer that you're on working from another animal than on the ground on this particular mule. So I would do that and I'd just keep on building. So it's going to take you some time. What I would do, Katie, if you're going to, if you're going to uh, adopt this mule from the rescue, make it a goal to get things going so you can come back to the foundation class in Wisconsin next year. And hopefully possibly even the riding class on, on Dudley. It's totally possible. A year's time, you can absolutely get this mule working, get him riding. It's going to take you some time, though. It's going to take you some effort. Um, the every day, I don't mean every day, quote, working, but I do mean every day interactions with this mule. I would be catching him every day. I would catch him every day and lead him to that feed minimally every day. The, uh, just doing that, you'll see a huge increase. You know, my great-grandpa told me about... Um, you know, would, would talk about how as in his childhood, you know, uh, they didn't have any, you know, they didn't have any spigots in their barn. They had to walk the horses and the mules down the creek. And so they'd catch every, everything and then they'd take them down the creek and then they'd bring them back up to water. They had so much interaction with those animals every day. Plus they farmed with them. Their whole day was evolved around those animals, really interacting, feeding them, taking care of them, using them for work, going through it again. And he he always had great success um getting along with with all his animals that way so i would do that with uh with old dudley so good question katie good luck to you go for it your game you can do it uh next question comes from jennifer leach uh hi ty and sky my friend and i are looking at a four-year-old thoroughbred john mule colt for her to do endurance with but she's hesitant after seeing my mule and another rider's mule grabbed the bit, run downhill, be bracy, drag me around, etc. She's worried that this is a common mule trait. I told her groundwork would go a long way, but what do you think? You know, Jennifer, you're right. Um, now, here's the deal. Um, this is something I'm trying to change. And a lot of you listening, you have been to my clinics. I'm trying to change this standard across the world. But people hold mules and donkeys at a lower standard, generally speaking. 
I see it all over. Oh, it's just a mule. All it can do is poke down a trail. And they don't ever work on getting these mules handy. Now, there are a few. I, I got a few buddies that make some nice bridle mules, make some nice mules, and do, do some good work here. But um, even a lot of the top sellers in this country, around the country, they just get the mule good enough to plug on down the trail, and they, they leave it alone. They know they can sell it. They know they can make money. Just getting it decent enough to go down the trail. Now, a lot of people, that's fine. For me, it's not. I like my mule to be to be better than average on the end of a lead rope, and I like my mule to be better than average and handier than average in the saddle. So I work at it. I get these mules handy, get them light, get them to have some self-carriage, get them to have some collection, get them to ride nice, get them to ride light. And that's what I desire. Um, and, you know, you won't have these issues. I, uh, you're not going to have them dragging you around, running off with you, doing dumb stuff. Uh, now in the cult starting stages, dealing with this four-year-old cult, you know, starting it, you're, you're going to be dealing with the cult starting. So you gotta, you can't, you can't be judgmental of the cults, but you do got to have standards. So you're holding them to the standard. You ride the cult the way you want them to become, but you do need to expect some things that will come up. They're going to be scared of stuff. They're going to spook at stuff. They're going to see this. They're going to see that. You got to go through the experience and build the experience and you got to build that handle. They don't just, they don't just mind you and listen to you just because from the beginning. Okay. You got to build this. You got to help them look to you for that comfort. Okay. So, uh, you know, they, they uh, Jennifer, I'll tell your friend that if she works hard to do the groundwork, get a good handle on. Um, I've got a few friends that do endurance with their mules. Actually, i got a lot of friends that do endurance with the mules. Mules are fantastic for endurance. She'll have a lot of luck um, with the thoroughbred. That'll be good. Um, a lot of them like the Arabians for the endurance, um, but it'll be good. Um, now, the endurance riders, uh, a lot of my friends that are endurance riders that have come, they've kind of went through the ringer with me in the clinics because we're not just getting on and pounding miles. You got to get them handy. So if she doesn't want to deal with the with the running downhill and the bracy and the dragging you around stuff, she needs to focus on getting them handy, going through the checklist, working through these things, doing a good job, and she won't have anything to worry about. But if you don't do your work, why? They can come up. All right. You reap what you sow. Okay. Good question there, Jennifer. Uh, our last question for this episode comes from Mr. Scott Nichols from Idaho. Good morning, Ty and Sky. Uh, when your animal is distracted by other animals or something outside the area you are riding, what is the best way to get their attention back on the question or questions being asked? Should I ignore it? Ask an easy question. Depending on the mule's level of distraction, they can lock on for a while. If you offer a good deal, how long should I be patient waiting for a response? Should I bump with fingers, use more pressure, wait, ask for forward motion, question mark? Okay, Scott. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the main thing is um, before they get distracted, think about things that they might be distracted on, but don't tell stories. So if I'm riding down, let's say I'm just riding down my a farm road at home. 
Okay. Just a farm road. I'm not even out on the trail. I'm not, I'm not on the mountain. I'm not on the desert. I'm not moving cows. I'm just riding down the farm road at home. I'm coming up and I notice there's some dogs up ahead and they're on some chains in the front yard. Now I know my mule is going to be distracted by these dogs. Uh, that's normal. I'm not going to tell stories. I'm not going to say, oh, I hope they don't get scared. I hope they don't spook. I hope they don't run off. I hope they don't do this. I hope they don't do that. And I don't tell any stories, but I say, all right, I see them dogs too. I notice those dogs. Okay. And I'll start supporting my mule before they get super distracted. So say the dogs are up ahead on the left and the mule's attention is slightly to the left. I'm going to get my right leg back and I'm going to move the hips to the left a little bit. I'm going to kind of draw that right ear back to me. I'm going to draw that nose to the right just a little bit and get them looking back to me. Okay, just a little bit. So I start to support them before they get distracted. Now that's the best way to go about it. And you usually find that you don't you don't lose their mind. You don't lose their complete attention or focus. It's just a little distraction that you can get through those things. Now when you're late and you don't notice the distractions before they do, then you're going to have to do a bit more to kind of get them back to you. So say the mule is just totally drawn and totally obsessed with, um, you know, some, you know, we're out on the trail and another horse passes by and my mule is just keyed in on this horse and wants to go follow, you know. Okay. When its attention is totally drawn to that horse, I might have to firm up a bit. I might have to roll the hinds. You know, like I said, with the dogs, I barely just move the hip over. Now, w w when they're totally distracted and totally lost, I might have to firm up a bit and and uh, get my leg back there and really bump them and, and really move the hinds over or I might have to leg yield do a side pass and might, might have to be a bit firmer i might have to get a hold of them a little bit and get them paying attention because if i check with them they say uh mm, not interested i'll i'll check in with you later no that's that's not going to be good enough you need to check in with me now so i'll do a bit more and, and get their mind back to me and firm up as needed so it really depends on the situation, Scott. Um, give them a good deal. The, the good deal was you just riding centered. So you already had given them a good deal had you been aware and paying attention. Um, so that's that's the main thing there. But um, anyways, good question, Scott. Uh, all these questions were great this week, friends. And, you know, hey, if you ever have a question for Mule Tip Tuesday, just feel free to email me. Ty, that's T-Y. Ty at tsmules.com. That's T as in Ty, S as in Sky, mules, just like it sounds, .com. Send me an email. Let me know. Uh, put in the subject line, question for Mule Tip Tuesday, and I'll be happy to answer these questions for you. We had some great questions this week. Thank you all very much. Uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, I'd love to hear from you all. What you think of the podcast? So if you listen on Apple Podcasts specifically, uh, leave a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. Leave me a little review. Tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, until next time, God bless you all, and we will see you down the road.